Hello there, this is Matt Walsh out here in Hollywood, and you are watching The Hole. Welcome to The Hole. Welcome to The Hole. I am Rob Sprantz. I'm Franco Del Valley. And I'm Laurie Levine. We are joined by Paul Feig, who I have been a fan of for a very long time. Paul, I suited up a little bit for you. I can, I can. You look good, Rob. You I look can, good. I, I, very respectable. I can't reach your level, though. Like, I mean, you're, you, you got the, you know, you have the vest and, you know, you know. carnation and the hats. I, I can't roll with that, but I wanted to class it up a little bit for you. Um, you are, you're, you're ahead of 95% of the men in this country. Right? So uh, congratulations. <laughs> well, that's good. And I actually do have pants on. Most people uh, would, would be. <laughs> good, exactly. um, I, I, I've been, I've been taken to asking people to stand up before, uh, <laughs> during a zoom call just to make sure. Just to be sure. Well, you know, I want to thank you for joining us. I tell you, if anybody seems to be handling the quarantine, well, it is you. I mean, I'm, I'm watching these quarantine cocktail times that you've been hosting, um, and it's, it's been nothing short of hysterical and a lot of fun, and it kind of makes it a little more tolerable. I don't know how you're not an alcoholic at this point, though. <laughs> well, who's to say I'm not? But uh, no, you know what? It's honestly, I find that uh, you know this has been a time to delve into things that I hadn't had time to do before, and so you know, I, I always I was brought up with the ethos that boring bored people are boring people, and so you know, even when we're all just trapped in our houses, you go like, okay, I gotta gotta be productive and, and for for me other than my writing and kind of developing and all my business stuff it's been like well let's got let's go deeper into cocktails because i i love cocktails and i've always loved cocktail culture and uh but never got extensively into mixology i like going to bars but i thought well this is a chance to kind of learn how to do it more and then i'll just do it in front of everybody and try to raise money for charity at the same time yeah it's a great idea and and you can tell that you're you're getting uh it's funny that you said you're just getting into it because it seems like you really know what you're doing, <laughs> you know? Oh, God. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure any real bartenders out there are just rolling their eyes whenever I get on screen. But. Well, you, uh, you've taken it to the point where uh, you've launched your own gin, which I'm going to bring yes. up a little promo here. Ah, Harding Stoll's well gin, and, and there's Paul so just even with a pinky out, just doing it right. And there and the it is. The bottle is so beautiful. Thank you. I, I'm very proud of this. I mean, it's uh, it, first of all, it's, it's named after as my mother's maiden name was Ardingstall because uh, I wanted to do a London a London dry gin that sounded like it had been around for 150 years, <laughs> and so uh, came up with that. And then I like the idea of, of doing a bottle that everybody wants on their on their bar. Basically, um, you know, I, I love bottles. Um, you know, and I love going to a bar and seeing bottles uplit. If you look at most of my movies, there's always a scene in a bar and all the bottles mm -hmm. are uplit. I just think there's something beautiful about that, and so I didn't want to wander the good stuff inside uh, in, a, in a you know a dumb looking bottle so uh, we came up with the decanter idea yeah it makes sense and when i watched the you know it's funny that you're just getting into it because when i watched uh, one of the quarantine cocktail times i thought of uh, a scene in a simple favor where you know there's a specific scene where it really shows the differences between the two women where you know she's making the martini but very specific about how it's done so i i would have thought that you already were into that 
Well, I mean, martinis, yes. I've been a, an aficionado of martinis forever. I, I've spent the last 20 years plus like searching for the perfect martini and the perfect gin to go in and all that. So in that regard, yes, I'm, I'm quite expert, but really only in that one drink. And so while I could I can hold forth for an hour about how to make a martini, it was like, wow, but I don't know how to make anything else. So like somebody come to your house and you go like, what do you want? You want a martini? They're like, I don't like martinis. It's like, uh-oh, <laughs> like, you know, can you make me uh, sex on the beach? It's like, uh, I, I guess, okay. So that's why I thought, okay, I got to branch out for the people who don't want just a complete straight shot of gin uh, in, in, their, in their glass. Yeah, and that's another unique thing too because most celebrities, when they get involved, it's either a tequila or a wine. Very yeah. rarely you see a gin. What made you choose gin? I just love gin. I'm a gin fanatic. And um, gin is the, is the one drink that I've always kind of struggled to find one that I love. Um, you know, here's the thing with gin. A lot of people go like, oh, I hate gin. And I think it's because most of us had a bad experience with gin at a young age. Um, it was usually the one you'd grab for when you got like snuck down to your parents' friend's bar, you know, because it seemed, oh, my God, wow, look, it's got a picture of an English guy on it. It sounds like a beef eater. That sounds cool. And then you take a swig and you're like, oh, my God, is this pine salt? Is this like, you know, cleanser? And so it just puts everybody off of off of gin. And uh, myself included, I, you know, so I, I loved martinis and the art uh, and culture of martinis growing up, but I didn't like the taste of gin. And so I would have like vodka martinis, but always I would read books and they're like, really, you know, a vodka martini is not really a martini, uh, a gin one is. So I was like, I've got to learn to love gin. And this, you know, 25 years ago. And so really kind of got myself to like gin and, and really did like you know, even the stronger old fashioned gins, but when, I don't know, there's a better way to do this. And, you know, when things like Hendrix started coming on the scene, you're like, oh, okay, cool. This can go a different way. And so I really like that. But then there's things about that I didn't like. And so it just made me go, I know exactly what I want a gin that I want right. to make taste like and a gin that I think can make other people go like, oh, I didn't think I like gin. Now I do. Yeah. So how, so what's the process? Like, how do you, do you find a company that is already making gin that you like, or do you just, did you do this from scratch? He's making well, it in his kitchen. Yeah, you making it in the bath, I am. bathtub. You know, I'm bathtub. <laughs> I've gone very prohibition with this. Uh, are you um, are you in the bathtub when you do it? That's <laughs> literally yes. It's 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 fig infused uh, gin, which is is a horrifying thought. Um, no, I you know I had kind of flashback you know a number of years ago. I I you know I love fashion, men's fashion. And so I wanted to have like a clothing line and hit up my agents at CAA because they have a whole kind of marketing branding department. I said like, can I get a clothing line? And they're like, no, you can't because you know, you're just like a director and nobody really knows who you are. I said like, I know, but just like try. And so they worked for a few years reaching out to different places and, and then found uh, that uh, J crew was in the, into the idea. Cause they had just done a, uh, a, a charity thing with uh, Jimmy Fallon making these phone cases that had like a pocket silk on top so you could put it in your pocket look like in a pocket silk mm. and they made a you know they, they got a lot of money for charity by doing that and it went very well so they were like well we'll do that with you maybe we'll do pocket silks and so i designed a bunch of pocket silks but then as they saw how passionate i was about clothing they were like oh let's do a jacket let's do shirts and so we ended up doing like two full suits and um and shirts and pants and and uh cufflinks and ties and everything so awesome. and that went really well it sold out very quickly so after that happened i was like well see if I can get that, 
the thing I've wanted my whole life is my own gym. They're like, well, now it's impossible. You can't do that because you have to be a famous musician. You have to be a famous actor. You have to be a really famous celebrity. I was like, I know, I know, but just try again. Mm-hmm. You did it before, you do it again. So again, another two years went by, but then in that time, they contacted this company called Minhas, uh, which is a like the biggest, I think the seventh biggest brewer of beer in North America. They're based out of Calgary. But they've been approached by a lot of celebrities to do something and they didn't want to do it but then they saw my lifestyle that I represent that I'm really into cocktail culture and that I really am not just like I'm just put my name on this and they wanted a partner and so we got in there and we built this from scratch I mean this was really even though they they make well drink they they do beer but then they also make spirits but they specialize in making like well drinks they make a lot of the like the rum for um, Trader Joe's and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but they wanted to do a premium and so uh, so that's what we did and we joined forces and it's been two years in the making of formulating it very carefully formulating the recipe designing the bottle and and all that now we're finally slowly getting out there that's awesome well uh, you can go to artingstallsgin.com uh, there's a lot more information about it. I, I definitely want to try it. Look, I'm not much of a drinker. I'm not a gin guy, but I'm going to try it, um, especially if it's Pulfig infused. <laughs> and I, didn't, I didn't realize that it was that it was going to charity. What charities is it? No, not the gins. Not it was a, oh, okay. the, uh, the uh, although we are doing something. We do have a we haven't announced it yet, but we have something coming up that we're going to do tied into a charity. And when I do my cocktail show, I raise money for charity every day. That's but awesome. uh, no, this is this is much more selfish. Yeah. We're just selling this. <laughs> That's not nothing selfish about it. You got to you know, look. There's so many, so many people are starting their own, you know, type of. Uh, liquor and the fact that you went with gin i thought was a really cool like different road to go down you know um oh, thanks, thanks. so i've been i've been a fan of yours for a, a long time you know i'm gonna throw a deep cut up here right now oh <laughs> man yeah, there you go so, number two <laughs> right but I, I have kicked me as well um i actually <laughs> you know i wanted to kind of get some idea of how you got from this tap dancing uh <laughs> kid uh how to you, the ultra cool guy that uh, I yes exactly how uh how you got to the ultra cool guy but but it, but in all seriousness like i i can first of all I, I know that you were a fan of steve martin and in cocktail quarantine time there's a lot of steve martin vibe in you no no doubt about it um but you know but you know when you started out with stand-up first did you do acting first like now i mean you're first known as director but you do do a lot of different things was director what you wanted to be first or was it something different well, I mean, I know I always wanted to be a performer. I mean, that was my goal was to be a comedian, a comedic actor. I wanted to be Groucho Marx. I wanted to be Steve Martin. I wanted to be, you know, just any number of, of hilarious people on screen. I wanted to be Cary Grant, you know, because he was really funny and then the comedies that he did. Uh, and so I really focused on that. It was a lot of, you know, school theater and drama club and forensics and all these all these performance things. And I, I started doing stand up when I was 15 years old in Detroit. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it was just I just knew what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I started discovering, you know, movies by like, you know, Woody Allen and these people who you go like, oh, they actually write and direct their movies, too. Right. And you're like, wait, you can do that. So you can write, direct and star in your own movie. <laughs> and so that became my my 
at the time, my focus, I was going to do that. I was going to write, direct, and star in my own movies. Uh, and because of that, I ended up going to film school at USC because I thought, well, i got to learn how to make a movie so that I can put myself in my movie. Uh, and then, you know, and then after film school, I, I, be, I went full-time into stand-up. And after a few, like, year, five years doing that professionally, I transitioned into being an actor. And so I did that for professionally for at least 15 years. I was a regular on a bunch of TV series that all got canceled and was in a bunch of movies and stuff. But um, was always going, wow, I really, I'm interested in the director. I'd always befriend the director and the writers um, more than my fellow actors, even though I like my fellow actors, but I just, I wanted to know what they were doing. And I just started to Getting more and more interested in behind the scenes because I saw I was very limited as an actor. You know, I had things I could do that were funny and fun, but mm-hmm. but I didn't have any range really. And but I would work with these see these other actors and go like, oh, you know what, if the director had them do this, I bet that could be even better. And I would see how to like make people better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took in 1997, I took the money that I had made from the first season of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which I was a, a regular on mm-hmm. as Mr. Poole, um, and I put that all into a movie that I wrote, directed, starred in, produced everything and while i enjoyed it i kind of went i don't i think the part i enjoyed the least was being on camera in that movie oh wow and so yeah and so i went like you know what i think i'm just going to kind of concentrate on going behind the camera and and i i kind of never looked back and i you know I, if people want me to be in a movie i do it i'll, I'll put myself in like a, my, my own movies like with like one line or a scene or something just for my ego, but uh, <laughs> I enjoy much more being behind the camera now. Yeah, and you. So at one point, um, Freaks and Geeks is probably the first thing that started to get you a lot more well known. Um, yeah. So how, how do you go from you know being on Sabrina to all of a sudden now you have you're basically creating and producing a show. Um, Where's that transition? Did, did you have a, an idea and a pitch that you brought out, or how did that work? Well, I mean, it really, I had to go through the worst year of my career um, to get there because I was, like I said, I was on Sabrina and then had made that decision after I made that move. Well, the decision was made for me, let me say that. <laughs> I, you know, I did the first season, stockpiled about $30,000 from that. I put that all into this movie, made this movie, and then I was going to go back and refill my coffers with the second season of the show because it was a hit. And as I was going into post on my movie, getting ready to go back to the show, they called me up and said, like, well, I actually, we're not going to bring you back to the show. We don't know how to write for your character. It's like, wait, what? So I'll help you. <laughs> I, really just, I bankrupted the family and had this movie that I put together and I couldn't get it in anywhere. I mean, I no film festival would take it. Nobody cared. It was too small. It was too whatever. Um and so it was just this horrible year where I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to like give up my showbiz dreams and go work in a bookstore or something. Um, but in the midst of all that, I decided kind of at the end of that year when I was going out, on, I, I got accepted to this really weird, like traveling film tour where I would go to colleges and show my movie. It was really low rent and didn't work. But while I was out on the road, I thought I got, I was always writing. And so I thought, well, I got to write something. And I'd always been wanting to write this high school show about my real experiences in high school. And just when I was on the road, wrote that. Mm. And, um, 
then sent it to my friend Judd Apatow, who had just signed a deal at DreamWorks after coming off of the Larry Sanders show. And he said, look, if we ever have any, any idea for a TV show, I've got this deal. So I sent him the script and he loved it. And within 12 hours, bought it. Wow. And my wow. whole career changed. I mean, it was like, a. I mean, that was I, that was the lifesaver. I'm telling you, without that, I, you know, it would have I, I don't know what I'd be doing now. Yeah, and you're, uh, you know, between the book and the show, um, you know, I can relate with a lot of your horrible uh, high school experiences. I'm sure a lot of people have. Um, But, you know, it's, you know, we don't need to get all into the whole cancellation and everything that happened there. But, you know, the show didn't get the fair audience that it deserved. But at the same time, all of a sudden, it's when it's done, then it becomes a big hit. You know, once it hits... You know, uh, video, and I think, um, you know, I'll even show you this. Um, I'm actually in the yearbook edition. Uh, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm the one with the guitar. That's me right there. Ah, and oh my God, <laughs> it is. Look at there. There you are, Robert. Yep. Oh my God. There you go. That, wow, you just blew my mind with that. Yeah, so. That is um, fantastic. So I, I remember, like, you had, like, a message board at the time <laughs> that you were answering questions and stuff, and you had yeah. said anybody wants to be in it. I regret to this day that I used that photo. I should have used the high school photo like everybody else. And every time I open it, I'm like, ah, I should have did that. But uh, know, you look pretty cool with that guitar. <laughs> Rob had a, a perm in high school, so it really would have added. To you this. know, you know what? You, you want to see it? Paul? A lot of us did. Yeah. Here you go, Paul. That's the- <laughs> oh my God. Yes. That's oh, have you said that to Coca-Cola? I think that could be. The- <laughs> you know, the, the funniest part about this, you want to talk about lame is even the soda is caffeine free. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'm drinking caffeine free coke you know but um but you know so so once that was done you know then I, you know i got into the show just as it was already in trouble which is kind of kind of stinks um but then mm. you know as you went on then you started getting into films and you actually started to to do some some films of your own i think i am david was the first one that you did outside of that so yeah does the pressure change in a different way now? So now, now you're not making a student film. Now you're making a film that you have to actually have people that are backing it and, you know, to impress them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, the minute you're spending somebody else's money and a lot of money, uh, everything changes, you know, look, I mean, I and David was like $7 million, which in movie terms is not a lot, but for in the real world is a ton of money. And so, you know, I, it was, it was, um, it was, it, I kind of eased into it, I have to say, because, you know, even though that was like for an independent studio, it wasn't like a studio movie. So while there was a lot of pressures on that, it was still, you know, I wasn't micromanaged like you are at a studio or you can be at a studio They you know, they, they obviously made sure the script was right. We went through a lot of stuff with that, but once we got into production, I don't know, it, it was, it was, it was fine. You know, uh, even though we shot in Bulgaria, which was interesting. I wrote that script cause it was so international. I was like, Oh, we're going to shoot in Italy and all these places. Cause it's like, it's this kid going across Europe and they're like, we're going to make it, but you have to make it in Bulgaria. It's like, wait, <laughs> well, what? Um, which actually turned out to be fantastic. I actually loved the country. It was really wonderful, but it was a, an adjustment. Um, but it was really when I said, I'm going to make a studio film uh, when I went off and did this movie called Unaccompanied Minors for Warner Brothers 
that's but I went into it with my eyes open because I've been told by so many people like when you make a studio movie it's a whole different experience so I kind of went in ready for the worst and it was tough and we went through a lot of issues on it and some things that I think hurt the movie um politically but you know but I, I learned how to do it and what I realized from it was the amount of time I put into both that little movie that I starred in that cost $30,000 and I am David was the exact same amount of blood, sweat and tears that I put into the studio film. And with the studio film, I knew it was going to get distributed. It was going to get marketed. It was going to get seen or at least have the chance to get seen. And so that was the day I said, like, you know, it's worth whatever extra stuff you got to put up with in order to make something that people will see. Yeah. Makes total sense. And then, you know, all along, though, you're also directing episodes for some of the funniest shows, I think, in history. I mean, you've directed for Arrested Development, which is up there as one of my favorites of all time. You did The Office, but you also did Nurse Jackie. And, you know, not mm-hmm. one episode. These are the ones that you've done. You did a stretch run there. If I went through the ones where you did one officer or two, we'd be here all day. Um, so, you know, you're you're kind of getting both sides of it you're getting the comedy you're getting the the dramatic stuff and you're kind of sharpening for what's about to come which is your first blockbuster yeah no i mean i being a tv director i tell everybody who's getting into the business and who's starting to direct like do it i mean it's the great it's better than film school because you're going into situations where there's a show up and running it's got a crew but you're going into different genres Uh, really even if it's like they're all comedies every comedy has a different style and a different feel a different tone and so you're going week to week to these different places working with all these different actors learning how each actor's process is and every actor has a different process that you got to learn some are very method and you got to speak to them in a certain way and you can't like just say oh can you smile at the end of this because they're like no it's results like you have to go like you know i think it i think you know you would the experience of this scene kind of makes you feel better about this you know all ways to t- say like just smile at yeah you know <laughs> but but that's their process and i having been an actor i respect that so much because there's nothing harder than being the person on screen because if it doesn't work it's your fault or the audience blames you they don't go like well that director is crappy they go like boy i don't like that star he was really bad or she really was really bad in that movie so it's you know it's a big it's a big uh, responsibility but doing tv you just are in so many situations that you're kind of come out of that ready for anything. So when you, uh, you wind up, do you like watch every single episode before that's already been aired before you start doing it? Do you watch a couple, like how much do you prepare for your, for when you do it on TV? Well, I've been lucky because I mean, the shows that I was on, I was usually coming on in the very first season. So, um, so it was really, you'd got to kind of watch the pilot and then they were, busy shooting the other shows. I mean, the rest of development, I came in at the end of that season. So I was able to watch a, a stretch of like six or seven episodes and really kind of get it go like, Oh my God, the show's so funny. Yeah. And, but you know, you need that to know the tone. You know, when I did freaks and geeks, you know, we had a lot of directors coming in who were all great, but you know, people come in with their own vision of what it should be and a style they want to do. And you as the showrunner go, well, no, but it's got to be this. This is the style of the show. Like, you can't have every week a different director coming in and completely changing the right. style of the show because then there's no consistency. And so I, from that experience having run a show or co-run a show, 
came into these things going like, look, I'm going to, here's what I think we should do, or here's what I'd like to do. But if it's not what you want, then cool, tell me what you need and we'll do that. And it's, you know, I always, it, the, the problem with some TV directors that they come in and it, they'll argue with you and like, well, no, it's going to look terrible if you do that. It's like, please, like I gave you your chance and you show me what you want to do. Now here's what we need. Now make it your own. But you know, but it's just, it's the nature of, of that. So when you get to movies and you are the director, then you are really the one who's much more in charge of the vision of it, even though you're still serving the masters above you in the studio. Mm-hmm. So let's let's then move to uh, Bridesmaids because this was <laughs> this was the first one. Um, I could could you? I mean, obviously the talent in that film is it it sells itself. But did you even <clears throat> expect it to get as big as it did? Because I mean, it blew up that movie. Well, I always say you never make a movie thinking it's not going to do well, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I knew we had this amazing cast and every day we were getting such funny stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I say this to this day on every movie I'm on, because a lot of times people are like, oh, my God, the dailies and the studio's happy and like everything's going so great. And I'm always like, yeah, it's going great. I just hope it adds up, you know, and that is a thing like you can have every day, every scene you shoot, every shot. People are laughing, think it's the funniest thing in the world. You string it all together as a movie and suddenly it sags. Or you go like that isn't funny anymore. Oh, I don't now I don't like those people because, you know, it is that cumulative effect that happens with storytelling. So while we knew we had great stuff. Yeah, you go like, I hope this works. And then we had on top of it, the added pressure of the town had kind of decided since we were one of the first, you know, of recent memory, kind of all female led films, that this was a big litmus test to see if other female led films could work. So that was hanging over our, our head, which I really hated because it's like, Really? So if I screw up this movie, like you're saying, no women can't ever star in movie. Yeah, exactly. Like they didn't do that for the hangover. It was like, well, let's see. Yeah. So, you know, so I, all I can say is the relief I had when the movie did well was just like, oh, my God. So, so good. Because, you know, also I was coming off of two strikes like, you know, I am David and on the company miners both bombed. Yeah. And so, you know. I had already gone into movie jail once. And so if, I, if this one didn't work, I was going to be like in movie dungeon. So uh, fortunately it worked. And and this was the first, I mean, people knew of her, but this is the first time that Melissa McCarthy really became uh, a household name from that movie. And you guys yeah. have worked on multiple since then. Like you really seem to work mm. well together. I don't know if she's requesting you or you're requesting her or it's both, <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a good combination with you two. Yeah. Look, I mean, I love her. She's great. But the, the irony is we've never ever set out to make a movie together each time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, bridesmaids, she came in at the very last minute. I didn't even know who she was. I, I wasn't aware of Melissa weirdly. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. I just wasn't. And she came in at the very end of the process and blew us all away. And so we put her in the movie. Then when I was going to do uh, The Heat, um, you know, I found that. And it was, I was just reading the script. And I knew that Sandra Bullock was interested, but I didn't know who the other person was going to be. And actually had been told 
by the writer. She had actually written it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then I was reading it about 10 pages in. I was like, wait a minute, you know who would be hilarious in this role is Melissa. And so, you know, called her up and we had to do this whole thing because she was still finishing Identity Thief and she had to go back to Mike and Molly. And so I had like six weeks to do this with her and it was crazy. But we, we managed to jam it into her schedule. And so then after that, Spy, I wrote Spy for somebody else because um, I didn't think Melissa was going to be around because she was doing Mike and Mike and Molly and I wanted to shoot it when they'd be shooting that TV show. So, but then the person I wrote it for didn't want to do it and then Melissa got wind of it and so she was like, I want to do this. Same thing. And then Ghostbusters, same thing. I went into that going like, I'm just going to, I don't know who I'm going to cast in this. Let's just write this. And it was really, Melissa contacted, reached out and said like, hey, I'd love to do Ghostbusters. I'm like, well, mate, yeah, it'd be crazy not to put her in this. So, it, a long way of saying it's not, we're never like, okay, what are we doing next? It's usually like we're trying to get away from each other and then it just kind of comes back together. <laughs> so, you know, that Ghostbusters to me, um, it did not get a fair shake right from the beginning. Um, as someone who, you know, we're similar age and, you know, you seem to have been into the same things as me, just the chance to do Ghostbusters must have just been so exciting for you. Did, did they bring oh, yeah. did they bring it to you? Do you have the idea and bring it to them? Like, because that's a, no, that's I, a big one. Yeah, it was a huge one. I mean, the, the backstory was I when I was working on The Office, Lee and Jean, um, you know, uh, uh, who one of the two of the writers who wrote um, the dinner party episode and all that, they, you know, they're such great, great writers. But back then, when I was working as a producer on the show, um, they had gotten hired to write Ghostbusters 3. And I, that was when I was really deep in movie jail. I did two flops. And I remember just thinking, like, God, if there's ever, could would there ever be a world in which I would ever be able to direct? Ghostbusters. I'm just like, no, it'll never happen, never happen. So then flash forward to it, I'm in uh, Budapest shooting Spy, and I got a call from Ivan Reitman, who, who, you know, Harold Ramis had just died, and he was trying to revive this Ghostbusters 3 and sent me the script, and, and I really liked the script. It was actually a different script from Lee and Gene. Somebody else had come in and written a new new draft. And while I liked it, I was just like, I don't know. I don't want to compete with those, that cast, and I don't know how to, like, do a sequel of this with Harold gone. You know, I knew Bill didn't want to do it. So I weirdly, I never thought, you know, years before I would actually turn it down. And I did. Um, but then it was it was uh, Amy Pascal, who was running Sony at the time. Just she stayed on me and she had me come over for lunch one day and just really kind of went after me. Like, why does nobody want to do this? It's this great franchise. <laughs> A lot of pressure. And it got me thinking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it got me thinking, you know, and I actually gave her every reason why I don't want to do this and walked out of there going like, no, I don't want to do it. But then I was walking around like the next day and going like, I don't know. I mean, Ghostbusters, it's such a great franchise and it's such a great idea. Okay, if I had to do it, what would I do? And I was like, well, I don't want to compete with that original cast. So let's reboot it and just start it with a new cast. I work with all these hilarious women why would I not put all those funny women in there? And then I was like, that I have energy for. I know how to do that and called them up and they were really into it. And then off we went. And I, I never, I never once suspected that that would be an issue. Yeah. And look, the, the, the movie itself, if there, the, the, the amount of people, I know Trump took a shot at it and, you know, be, just because. <laughs> well, I like him to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> weird. Weird yeah, that he weird. would take a, have an opinion on something. Right. Uh, and, and weird that he wouldn't respect the fact that women are in something, you know. Um, <laughs> but but it was it was so unfortunate because, you know, you have that s- small percentage of the Internet, which you deal with way more than we ever have to. But there's a small percentage of the Internet 
that are hateful and they're evil and they are the most vocal, unfortunately. They um, were saying things about it before it, it was ever out. Yeah. Oh, they were. Like, oh, yeah. They, they, they jumped onto the minute I said I was going to do it. They were all over me. Yeah. If that People just seemed like they were offended by it almost before it even came to be. It just like it, everybody was like, I'm offended that somebody would even try to do this. It was really wild. Yeah, it just it, it was. I mean, I just never thought it was going to provoke that kind of a kind of a response. I just thought, oh, people are going to be really excited, you know. So I kind of you know, my whole relationship with the internet before that was just lovely, you know. It was kind of like everybody likes everything I do, and freaks and geeks, you know, and and, and people like bridesmaids. So I was like a babe in the woods a little bit, even though I've been on the you know, social media for ten years before that but I just haven't seen that ugly side that so many women have to see and so many you know people who are out out there have to see so I think when it first happened it was like it just it punched me all the way back into high school like and having bullies and being in the locker room and getting beaten up you know and uh, like if it happened now now I'm so used to it you know that you're kind of like okay it just doesn't matter but at the time I think it really hit me so hard that I probably I probably did a lot of firing back that I, I would I, now I just advise everybody who's going through it anybody I know is, is coming up for something like that I'm like alright here's what you do don't respond don't do anything just mute just block just do not say a word So that's the smartest way to go because you know you yeah. can't help but have that in your head and you know you're not even finished with the film you know there's got to be a small part of you that's like oh you know do I do I make a tweak because of all of this backlash? Do I not? And I'm glad you didn't because the movie's excellent. And frankly, if it's better than two and three, without a doubt. Um, and, and you know, it's it's so well done. It's really funny. Um, and I I just I just didn't get. It was really unfair what happened. But you know, that's unfortunately the world that we live in. Well, thanks, Rob. No, I, I'm so proud of that movie. I, I'm just, I, I'm happy with every, everything in it. Look, no, no movie's perfect. Like we all strive to make perfect movies as possible. You can't make a perfect movie, really. I mean, there's a few, obviously, The Godfather and things like that. Yeah. But you know, but here, if I may, pick up a prop from my desk. You know, <laughs> I, when we, I won this, this um, Kids Choice Award. For, you know, after after you know years of hearing everybody like, thanks for ruining my childhood. All these middle aged guys is like, we won this. So I go like, oh, I guess maybe some actual children and young people, they had the experience that you guys had when you watched the original one so i this this kind of made everything okay weirdly and then and, and again look i'm very proud of it and it's now it's really found you know it's found its audience and uh it's going to be premiering on uh, on freeform and, they, and it, it's part of the you know um the 31 days of uh halloween uh, fest that they do so i'm very oh, nice. proud of that now okay. and, and this is your this was your first big budget movie action and and all of these things so that's an how much of an adjustment did it take for you to all of a sudden now you know there's i mean it's it's the whole movie has so many scenes that are you know epic you know there's between the cgi you probably never had to work with before so you know how besides trusting in the crew which i'm sure is a big part of that you know how do you how do you adjust to that how do you adjust to the, the the pace and and all of the the big budget stuff that goes along with it well, it's fun. I mean, the, the weird thing about a big budget is it's sort of, it's not like sort of they back up a pile of, you know, trucks load, truck loads of cash. And you're like, how are we going to spend all this? Like, 
you immediately are over budget. Like no matter what you're going to do, it's crazy. I mean, even if you get this giant thing, it's just like all the things you want to do, you know, Oh yeah. And you're like, wait, it costs that much. You know, I look, I had, I had eased into it a little bit because spy was, you know, was a higher budget than something I'd done before. That was like around $60 million to me. So that to me was just like, wow, this is the biggest budget I ever had. And yet we were still struggling on that. So, you know, it's, it's really just comes down to the ability to do things that you want to do, but you're still constantly compromising because you're like, oh, let's, you know, you come into it with all these like, we're going to do all this stuff. And you immediately are told, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't afford that. You can't afford that. (laughs) You know, and so you just keep adjusting from there. I mean, you know, there's there's stuff I wish we had. You know, we shot that that Times Square uh, battle that we have. Mm. We that was twice as long (laughs) and all these really great stuff. I always feel bad. Like Leslie Jones had had a couple of really funny big sequences in it, but and, and so did Kristen Wiig where she got, she was flying around yeah. and it just, we just, we ran out of money. We couldn't do it. So, um, you know, so it's, 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 it's crazy how, how quickly that goes, but also, you know, a lot of money went into rights and, 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 you know, cause these, you know, being a franchise, there's a lot of people you got to pay off. A lot of people have pre-existing deals and all that. So it wasn't, you know, it doesn't all go on the screen at the same time. Yeah. So as, uh, as someone who, you know, worked on this and then grew up you know with the Steve Martin world and the SNL world how does it feel when somebody like Dan Aykroyd takes that shot which was kind of unnecessary and not even true um you know uh you know that that's got to be something that bothered you I'm so glad that the studio stepped in and and defended you on that um when you first started working though to know that you're going to work with Dan Aykroyd you must have been thrilled yeah Dan is one of my heroes. Dan will always be one of my heroes. I love him. Uh, you know, I mean, he on Saturday Night Live, all I did my entire teen years was do impersonations of people, do impersonations of Dan Aykroyd doing impersonations <laughs> of people, you know, because he was just so awesome. And he was he was wonderful. He was, you know, he came to the set and he was he was just fantastic and so supportive through the whole thing. And look, you know, I think, you know, the movie didn't do as well financially as everybody wanted to do it, it to do when people, you know, kind of handle it in different ways. But I, I love Dan and I think he's a, a, an amazing guy and uh, I will I will always love Dan. Yeah, and your, uh, you know, the the tweet you just recently put out that we are all Ghostbusters was was a very cool uh, thing because you know it's that's part of your life now. It always will be, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, you mentioned no, that's crazy. You really and en- you really enter like this this uh, this you know kind of group that and they're the most. I mean, they are the most. I can. Let me just talk about ghost heads, as they're called. They are the most wonderful people you ever met. They love the franchise. They love doing the cosplay for it. But they don't just just do cosplay for no reason. They are out at hospitals. They are raising money for, for all kinds of... I mean, they are the most generous people you've ever met in your life. I, you know, And I love them. That's what, you know, we have to separate them from the... You know, people go, like, oh, the Ghostbusters fans didn't like it. Like, they were very very supportive of the movie the whole way through and actually the night of the premiere we did a second premiere after our premiere at the chinese theater um where all, all from all over the country these ghostbusters uh, ghost heads came in and there's great pictures like all their proton packs were lined up outside in the courtyard <laughs> of, of, awesome. of, of the theater because they were all inside in full gear going crazy <laughs> for the movie and it, it was fantastic so you know the people who are yelling on the internet 
weren't they necessarily weren't. like the the hardcore fans. No, they they certainly weren't. You and you know that you're Look, right. Those fat people, fat men in their basement, right? Was <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and you're right though. That Times Square scene was was insane. You know, there, there's one shot in there I absolutely love. It's when they. You know, the the four of them are walking into the hotel and then there's that big, you know, the big vortex is there and you see those red packs. It's just like, you know, it yeah. it does. It definitely brought me back in, in a good way. You know, so I agree with you. Those those are not those are not real Ghostbusters fans. Those are just people who like to talk yeah. shit on the internet. Well, I mean, I would, I would, I would, you know, sh- shooting that movie, there's so many times I got absolute chills. Like when we had just a shot or going, you know, and like, like that shot, like you're talking about, just like, wow, we're, I'm, I'm actually getting to do this. We're actually doing this and pulling this off, you know, or the day that Bill Murray was on the set. I was just like, how is this happening? Like I'm doing a Ghostbusters and Bill Murray is on the set. You know, it it was, it will always be a cherished memory experience for me. Is he as much of the legend as, because there's so many urban legends about him, you know, just showing up at a bar to bartend randomly and do all of these bizarre (laughs) things. He's that kind of guy, huh? Oh, he's exactly that guy. But I mean, he's just lovely. He's, you know, you, you're never quite sure if he's going to be there, you know, be, just because they don't, you know, you just go, I, yeah, I, we think he's going to be there, you know, but then the day before it's like, he's at the airport and, you know, and then he showed up on set and he was just, he was lovely. He was just there to play and to you know, do whatever I needed. And, and, you know, it was, uh, I mean. I, I still can't get over it oh, sometimes. Sure. I heard he like doesn't even have a team. Like you, I have- heard he has no agent. He just has like a voicemail. No. Yeah, you call you call this number, and I don't even think there's a message. I think it just goes like beep, you know, and you're like, "Hi, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan. Uh, can you do my movie? A big movie? Yeah, I hope you get this. Click, and then you don't hear anything, and then you'll hear rumblings like, "Oh, I think he got," you know, and then, <laughs> and so then it's all like, "Does," and then he shows up. But you know, almost like you have to get like a backup, you know, person because you're like, if he doesn't show up, what are we gonna do? But uh, no, he he was he was so great, and fortunately, somebody on our team had a relationship with him, so they were able to back channel and kind of just find out what he was up to. It's just so it's so wild to me. It's just so, it just adds to that legend of him that you know you just oh, you totally. know, you're just leaving a random I, message like anybody else. Would. I wouldn't want him. I wouldn't want him any other way. Like you said, like an agent, like hey, all right, Bill, be that you know that wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't be Bill. <laughs> no, it's so true. But that's cool. And one other person too that was I mean maybe only for a millisecond, but also Ozzy. Like you, so you worked with Ozzy Osbourne too. <laughs> yeah. And yes, like, so what's that was the, awesome. That was awesome. So what you know, what, Ozzy first, first. Well, he was a, he's a, he's a, he's another such a nice guy, and he just kind of shows up like you're like is that Ozzy Osbourne? Because there's just this really nice guy came in yeah. who's just kind of low key and sitting like, what do you need? You know, but then, you know, it's when I make a movie, I like to do a million different versions of a joke or whatever. And we always have like a bunch of alternate jokes. And so I would just be there like, okay, Ozzy, try this one. And he would look at it and he would just start laughing. And then we would roll it and he would do it, you know, and I'd pitch him another joke and he would crack up and then he would do it. And we did all these different jokes, you know, and it was so hard to pick what we were going to put in. But, um, no, my, my greatest regret of that day was we had these amazing extras, you know, background artists who were there. I mean, 600, 700 people in that theater who were all kind of like hard rock fans because, you know, it was a hard, supposed to be, you know, a heavy metal concert. And so, you know, we wanted people to have that look, Yeah. but I just felt like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I if I didn't feel comfortable with Ozzy to go like, hey, I'm just gonna have Ozzy walk out and you know and, and, and you know 
say hi to these people because you know as a director you always have to be like okay i'm getting a favor from them anyway that they're just doing this so i don't want to put them in any situation that's going to feel like i break their trust of course and so we finished and i said okay let's let's just do ozzy's stuff once everybody's gone so we let everybody go and then brought ozzy in and to this day i go like i should have just a asked him but i think he probably would have been fine and just brought him out so that people could have seen him because uh because he's such a great guy, so I, I to everybody who was in that audience, I apologize. I didn't let I didn't let you get to meet Ozzy and, and it must I have, got to meet him. <laughs> but it must it must have been uh, a strange shooting that scene with you know because it's obviously all CGI. So you have everyone pretending something's there that's not. So you don't even yeah. right now you don't even have a few actors. Now you have uh, an entire you know hundreds of people that have to pretend that they see something that isn't there. How do you get them to do that? Well, we had a drone, actually. We had a, a lighted drone because that was one of the things. I mean, actually, in that movie, I tried to do as much as I could on screen with actors playing the ghosts. And, and uh, most of the ghosts that you see in the movie were there in full costume. And then we kind of augmented them with CG. But this one was just too hard because it's supposed to be going all over the place. So, yeah, we made this drone that we put this kind of exoskeleton of lights on. So you'd have this light interaction with the crowd. And then we just flew that thing around and had it, you know, so, so at least they were reacting to something. It wasn't just a tennis ball on a stick. It was this thing floating around, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's the downside of these CGI movies because I want people to act with, you know, things like that Times Square scene, all those ghosts were real people, you know, with these light suits on stunt people doing all these things. And then we just kind of, you know, gussied them up with, uh, with CG. Same with, you know, the, the Gertrude, uh, uh, ghost in the, the first ghost, they ghostly meet in that, in the mansion. Right. Um, that was, uh, Bess Rouse, who was one of the lead actors on my show, um, uh, other space. And she's so good. I was like, we had her on this rig and she was floating in in the full costume with these lights on. On her and, and she was able to like scare scare the, the the actors by like screaming when they didn't expect it and stuff. So anything that makes it feel feel authentic and real, I'm I'm all for. The one thing with your movies that I notice, it's kind of like Judd Apatow or Sandler in that like everybody has a good time. We've had some some of your cast from Freaks and Geeks and some of your other things on, and everyone has a good time. I remember Leslie Jones yeah. saying it was fun. Oh, it's like camp. Yeah, I'll shoot the best. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, my we're doing comedy. We're not doing heavy drama. And so the idea of having a set where it's tense and I'm yelling and, you know, people are mad, it's like, what what good comes of that? I was an actor for long enough to have been on sets like that. And you just shut down. You kind of, you, you, it makes you not want to experiment or to try something or to go that extra yard because you go, they're just going to yell at me if I do anything other than the line or if I don't do exactly what they tell me. And that's not a good way to do comedy. For me, comedy is about capturing lightning in a bottle. So yeah, being comfortable, comfortable. So you, you know, I, I would say my biggest job is to create a safe environment for my actors. So they feel like they can try anything because I've had I've had a million times where somebody will go either surprise me with something or they'll go like, oh can I try something and they'll do it and I'm thinking oh god that was terrible like why okay why did I let them do that but it's but I never say that I go like oh you know oh great that was cool we got that now let's try this mm-hmm. and I'm telling you eight out of ten times I get in the editing room and the thing I thought was terrible actually turns out in context to be great and we end up using it. It just wasn't what I had in my head. So that's over the years I've learned like get 
beyond what's in your head because that's why you hired these people. They're talented and they're going to bring extra things to it. And if they're having a good time while they're doing it too, then all the better. Yeah. Yeah. And they're really, you know, really, really funny women, you know, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. Oh my God. I, uh, um, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable, but I definitely want to touch on my favorite uh, film of yours, which is a simple favor. I think I, oh. talk about a complete, you know, 180. Um, it was almost like you were all right, now I need to get away from this. It was almost like an intentional move that you wanted to go to something that's, uh, you know, more of a mystery. It's still funny, but it's it's such a good film. I really, really like that one. Well, that, I truly appreciate that. Honestly, it's it's one of my favorite movies I've ever made. I'm really proud of it. You know, look, it was yeah, coming out of Ghostbusters, it was really hard to figure out what to do next. Um but this was a script that was originally sent to us from a different studio that had it at the time for us to produce because they were like, we have this script and it's a thriller, but we don't know if it's a comedy or not, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, let me read it. And I read it. And I was just like, Oh my God, I really fell in love with it because yeah. it was both. It was, it was a thriller that could be funny mm -hmm. because of the character that Anna Kendrick played. Yeah. Cause I go like, this is a movie about a nerd, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who gets stuck in this crazy situation. You know, to me, it's, it's like North by Northwest or whatever, where you go like, you know, it's very Hitchcocky and of like this fish out of water gets stuck somewhere. Um, and so I called them back and said like, I don't want to just produce this. I want to direct it. And they're like, what? And yeah. so it started this whole thing. And then actually in the middle of it, I went away to, I was going to do another movie that then ended up falling apart. And then I came back to this and, um, yeah, I just, I love I love genres. It's my favorite thing. And thrillers are honestly my favorite thing to watch. It's my favorite kind of movie. I don't even watch that many comedies, really. I like thrillers because I like the stakes being really high and I like always being leaning forward and not know what's going to happen. But if you can bring that element of comedy in, which Hitchcock always did so well. I mean, you watch a Hitchcock movie, there's all these funny side characters and weird moments that are really quirky. And I, I just wanted that feel. And so... Um, when I got to make that, I was just, I was in heaven, absolute heaven. Yeah, and Anna nailed the nerd without a doubt. She was just fantastic in it. Um, so good. Yeah, that that's that's my favorite one of yours. And, you know, they're, they're all very good, but there was there was just something about Thanks. that. Like, it's, you know, you can kind of tell when when one of your, you know, favorite directors or artists are, are on the top of their craft. And that was one for sure. I was just, I just, it it's, it's funny because, you know, there's there's your you have your stamp on these movies, but at the same time you don't, which is such a a great thing to be able to nail because there are some filmmakers. The second you watch it, you know whose movie it is, and because frankly, it doesn't really change much from one film to another. Um, yours, def right. yours definitely do. So you, if, I wanted to know if that was a uh, an intentional effort that you wanted to go ahead and do something completely different. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's it's a testament to letting the people that you hire bring their thing to it. You know, I mean, I have a, a tone, I think, that people kind of know as far as, you know, it's going to be kind of funny, but it's also, you know, it's going to hopefully kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's going to be funny. But also it's going to have a very, like, real dramatic core to it. Um, and then beyond that, it's really about the personalities of the people that you hire. It's also about the script. It's about how you work the script. You know, I mean, just going back to Simple Favor, a huge shout out to uh, Jessica Scharzer, who, who wrote that, who adapted that 
that script from from the book. You know, and if you read the book, the book is is, is pretty different. Um, but you know, she found that thing, and then we were able to go in and then work it even harder and go, okay, well, how do we take this even higher and higher and all that? But um, yes, I, you know, it's, it's why I jump jump around to genres all the time. If you look at all every one of my movies, is pretty much a different genre uh, because it allows me to bring my style and the things I want to say and the tone I want to get across without feeling like I'm repeating myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just, once I do something, I kind of go like, okay, I did it. Now, you know, look, that said, I'd like to make another thriller, but I don't want to make another thriller that feels like Simple Favor, unless for some reason we did a sequel, which I already have an idea for how to do the sequel. (laughs) So we'll see. We're talking about it. Um, But, um, yeah, so just anything I can do to kind of change things up. You know, I'm dying to do a big sci-fi epic. I'm dying to do a horror movie. I'm dying to do a musical. You know, I'm dying to do a Western. Yeah, but but then bring my thing to it where you go like, okay, we know it's going to be funny and fun and, you know, in the, in the end kind of uplifting, you know, and not, not just saying the world is terrible and you can't win. Right. But at the same time, you're going to go through a lot of different, you know, be taken through a lot of different doors, if you will. Yeah. Do you like uh, producing more than directing or vice versa? Was producing more aggravating? Or, <laughs> I, gotta- uh, I always say producing, producing is like the worst job in the world. Um, <laughs> That's not good. I, but I, I, I like producing. Look, I'm very lucky. I've always had a good producing partner. Uh, I had a woman, Jesse Henderson, was my producing partner for seven years. Now she's running movies at HBO Max. But I have my, my new producing partner, Laura Fisher, who's great. And, you know, so I... I like being able to share the producing uh, duties, if you will. But I, you need to be in a producerial role in order to protect your vision, because um, it's very easy to get steamrolled by by producers if you don't ha- also have that producer uh, credit or credit, uh, you know, really the producer influence. So yeah, producing is like a necessary evil. I will say. Yeah. So what you have something that uh, I mean. Right now, you no one can do anything. Or do you do you see something starting to spin up a little bit? I've heard rumors that there was going to be some uh, some productions are going to start up again. But is is that happening for you? Yeah. Too? Well, I mean, it's it's you know my my DP who shot my last two movies. He's in London right now. They're shooting Jurassic World. They're deep in it. I was just talking to him the other day, and you know, he said, "Look, it's tough." He said, "It's not not as fun as it used to be because there's so many protocols and so much you got to do." But at the same time, he said, "You know, when they're on screen, we're getting the exact." same kind of stuff because the whole cast, all the casts are just quarantined in a hotel that they've taken over. So they're all safe. Mm-hmm. And it's just the crew has to be all tested and tested and tested, you know, and kept away and everything. So it's going to be a different world, but at the same time, it can be done. Uh, I'm, I'm in pre-production right now on a big movie I'm going to do for Netflix uh, oh, that nice. I'm very excited about that. I'm going to head to London, you know, in the next couple months and get ready. And we'll probably start shooting that. We were going to start shooting it in January. I think now we're going to probably start shooting it more March, uh, you know, the spring, but, uh, no, it's not holding us back. And actually Zoe's extraordinary playlist that I produce, mm-hmm. they're all back up in Vancouver right now, getting ready to start shooting the second season. So as long as you take those precautions and then the, and the precautions are very strict, but thank God they're strict, uh, yeah. because it's such a, a tough time, but it can be done. It can be done. That's great. And so what, what type of film is it? You want to say yet? You ready to yeah, give us a little bit on this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's been announced so I can say it's, yeah. 
it's a series of, uh, I, I don't know, I call it, I guess I call them young adult, young adult books called uh, The School for Good and Evil. And uh, so it's kind of in somewhere in the fantasy world. It's, it's a sort of Princess Bride meets Frozen meets ah, Harry Potter. Nice. So, so again, it's a new genre, but I just loved the script and the story and the book so much. Um, the, the characters are great. The message of the movie is great. And it's an it's a, it's a ability to create another world, which I love. I mean, I really loved in doing Ghostbusters, working with so many artists and conceptual artists and designers. That's like catnip to me because I'm a big old sci-fi nerd, you know. So um, so this is, we got a lot of really fun stuff in this. So very excited about it. And we're, uh, yeah, that's, that's gearing up and that'll be coming out if not the end of next year, then probably the year after so on Netflix. So that's good. I'm glad production's starting to spin up for a lot of things. And, you know, we had um, Matt Walsh on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you oh, know, mm. you know, man, you made dance in all these I weird ways. Oh, and, you know, and, he's, and he said that he, had a, he was on a production in upstate New York that he's going to. Um, same thing. Like he's going to start, too. So it's really good that things are going to start going. Did you do... Um, a lot more writing in the time you were home or did you say I'm going to do a lot more writing and just not do it? Like, <laughs> more well, mind. First of all, the most, the most evil story that people tell you, everybody started telling this at the beginning of quarantine was like, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during, you know, quarantine when they were quarantined during a plague. <laughs> and so it made all us go like, Oh God, we got to write, you know, we got to write King Lear. You know, I'm just like, I, I think I can only bar- barely manage to do my cocktail show. Um, <laughs> But but then, I, yeah, I actually have gotten a lot of writing done. I've been doing tons of writing and rewriting and development on this, the movie that I was just talking about. But, um, yeah, I've also been writing, like, a cocktail book and, uh, and working on other projects. So it's been a good chance to, you know, there, there's, you know, very little good comes out of this quarantine. But it, it at least allowed me to refocus a little bit and, 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 also, and also just kind of, take stock you know i think all of us we're always running so fast all the time that this at least for all the terrible stuff that's come out of it at least has been a chance for some of us to kind of at least reset and re refocus our priorities yeah you know and, and i think all the things that have been happening socially you know it, it's it's good that it's given us a chance to really think about it and process it you know and i i think i think good will come out of this yeah, that's good. I mean, it, and that's not just the gin talking. That's that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and just as a reminder, one more time. Hey, uh, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, go to artingstallsgin.com uh, if you want to look just as classy as Paul does there. There he is. Just <laughs> down here. Is that- oh, sorry, I didn't think we were on camera. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. <laughs> well, uh, um, but I want to thank you so much for giving us the time. Uh, I look forward to everything else that you're going to be working on. Um, if you wouldn't mind before we wrap up, if you give us a quick ID for the show, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to zoom in on you here. And if you could just, uh, just, you know, you're listening, you're watching, excuse me, I have to adjust this because we're videoing it. You're watching the whole podcast. You bet. And should I introduce myself? Oh, or of just, course. Uh, yeah, of course. For... Absolutely. Oh, okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Feig and you're watching the whole podcast. You nailed it. You're professional. That's you could very tell. Prof- you, you, I was <laughs> going to say the same thing. The, the voice. It's See? all about the voice. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Mr. Pool is still in there. There he is. <laughs> well, Paul, tell Buster I said hi. 
Oh my gosh, yes, Lori, I will. Oh, Buster, he's the greatest. He he's he's the most dick. patient dog. He, yeah, if you, you see what we do to him on the show. He's just, he'll just, we'll put on any costume and sit there. It's like hilarious. <laughs> I know. He, yeah, and by the way, Lori was yelling at you that you weren't hitting your mark in the last, in the last one. <laughs> I know. What was that? I mean, she came in hot that day. I don't know. I was like, wow. Yeah, Paul's we'll wife just walks in. She's right like, exactly. yeah, Paul's <laughs> wife walks in. She's just like, it looks very blurry. I can't even watch you like this. You got to back I up. <laughs> I know. We, yeah, honestly, I have to say, like, you know, it's when you do the live show, it's oh, man, we have so many like issues with like transmission and it goes getting fuzzy. So when I repost it, it comes right from my phone and it looks really beautiful. Yeah, so that's uh, I'm not telling you not to watch the live show, but it looks better when you, <laughs> when you watch it later. Uh, give me one second. So, um, I, again, I want to thank everybody for checking us out. Go to the whole We have a bunch of great interviews just like this. Um, and we'll be back next week. We have a couple more surprises in store. Once again, Paul, thank you so very much. Um, thank you, all of you. You are so great. Thanks, Lori. Thanks, Franco. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. You're the best. And I can't believe you're in the year the yearbook. Yes, I am. I can't believe I'm in it either. Blown my mind. It's, it's, my, it's one of my rare claims to fame. There you go. I will. I'll shout it from the rooftop. It's a very low bar that I'm setting. All right. Thank you again, everybody. All right. Hold on. I just ended. Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, Francesca, thank you for setting this up. Um, This was great. I really, really appreciate it. This will be up later today. I'll tweet it out and, uh, you know, tag you on it too. But it it meant a lot to us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul, for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you bet. And I will definitely say that buster for you. All right. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Oh, by the way, I meant to say this earlier. Great hair, everyone. Everyone all around. Fantastic. <laughs> Everyone's bringing it today. I gotta, this is a good looking group. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> you definitely are drinking right. too much gin. <laughs> yeah. right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.